Well, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we're continuing our study of what we're calling the sayings of Peter. It's a little bit different. We're looking at selected events from Peter's life, and we're seeing basically what he said and the context and how it fits together. We've seen a lot in his life. Look at this. I mean, I put this up. We have seen Peter from the beginning of his ministry, being with Jesus, his growth, his failure, and now his restoration and service. So what's he really going to do? You know, all we know that Jesus told him to tend my sheep, feed my sheep. We saw that last time. And, and we look at Peter's life and we go, wow, boy, did he really blow it? Well, he, he blew it by what? He denied Christ three times. How many times we deny Christ? I mean, think about it. And so what's so great, it is, to re- it is great to realize that failure is not the end. Don't you feel good about that? How many of us in this room have failed Jesus? At least once. <laughs> Once a day for me, okay? And how, how great is it to know that's not the end of our lives or ministries, that he says, I love you, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to use you for his glory. It's great to realize that. And, 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 and Peter, Peter's going to give, even though he failed in a sense, Peter's going to give the very first message of the church concerning Jesus Christ. Now think about that. Here's the guy that denied Christ, and he's going to stand in front of thousands and proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ after blowing it. So if me and you blow it, which we do, do we get to be able to stand before other people or one-on-one or whatever and get to tell them about Jesus Christ? We do. And as long as you're alive, he's going to use us. And so we're going to look at something because we're, this, this morning we see one of the great moments in the Scripture, and that is the, the formation of the church, the history, the beginning of the church, and Peter gives the message. And so as we look at this, we're going to raise some questions. Well, what is the church? When did it begin? When did the church begin? How are we able to serve God in the church? And what is the message concerning Jesus Christ? We already know the answer of that last one, right? What is the message? He died and... Rose again, whoever believes in him, what? Will never perish, but have what? Eternal life. That's, that's exactly that. So that's, that's, that's simple. All you have to do is know one verse. One verse evangelism. Isn't that the easiest you've ever heard? Yeah. I mean, Jesus told Nicodemus more than that, but that was enough. I've had people say to me that you have to do this, this, and this. And I say, well, what about John 3.16? And they say, well, Jesus didn't tell everything. I said, so he told the guy, not, he said, this is how to be saved, but not enough. I'm telling you partly how to, how to have eternal life. So think about it. Think about what people say out there when they say it's more than faith. It's not more than faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life. It's that simple. So those are some questions. So let's start with this. When we think about the church, let's talk about the church. And we're talking about us. There, there are a lot of ways people look at the church. First of all, some people think the church is a building. They'll say, where's your church? Where, where's your church located? You know, and they're thinking about a building. Or they say, I really like your church. And they think that this building is the church. Then there's others who think that an event, they'll say, hey, are we having church this Sunday morning? Like church is an event. It's an event. You know, uh, we didn't have church last Wednesday night or something like that, you know. And, and, and then the third is the people. And the truth is, it is the people. People who have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life are placed in the body of Christ. And sometimes when people will say, hey, JB, where's your church? I'm tempted, and I know what they mean. I tell them where it is, but I'm tempted to say, scattered all over this town, right? And and because that's what the church really is. 
So let's talk about the church for a second. This is the biblical view, the body of Christ. And, and so there are questions that, as we think about, is what is the church and when did the church begin? And so this morning, tied in with Peter, seeing his life, seeing what he's going to do, we're going to tie all this together. And so we've seen Peter's failure. He denied Christ three times. We realize we're the same. We fail. We deny Christ. We let him down. Over the last few weeks, what we saw was Peter's restoration and service. And the restoration is that Jesus went to him. And, and, and let's think about it. The, in the restoration, uh, Peter, uh, we see he's back in fellowship with God. I mean, that's the key, isn't it, right? What happens when you see and you get out of fellowship? Can you ever get out of your relationship with Jesus Christ? No, your relationship is eternal. It's an eternal relationship the moment you believe. But you can get out of what? fellowship, and that's when you sin, and when you sin, you're out of fellowship, and then what do we do? We confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us, and we're back into fellowship. So we saw the restoration of Peter, but most likely that time that, uh, that Jesus appeared, and then appeared to Peter, apparently by himself, by himself, and talked to him. Because when the two guys on the road to Emmaus got to where the disciples were, the, pe- the disciples turned to them and said, Jesus has appeared, and he's appeared to Peter. That was before they got to tell how they saw him on the road uh, to Emmaus, so that kind of thing. So the restoration has happened, but then there's the service. And what did he tell him? He said, I want you to... Uh, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to tend my lambs. I want you to take care of the, uh, of, of, uh, the people. And see, Peter is going to be, Peter was the leader of the disciples, and he failed, and he's still the leader. And he's still going to be the one to stand up. And God is so good that he takes each of us who fail him, and he says, you're mine. I love you. I'm going to use you. If you will just yield to me, the power of the Holy Spirit will come through you, and and I will use you for my glory. We confess we're restored, but we may think that God will not use us. I've got a friend that says all the time, oh, God's not going to use me anymore because all the bad stuff I've done. And I say, well, I've done a lot of bad stuff too. Does that mean he's not going to use us? Everybody in this room has done bad stuff. It may be your thoughts, maybe your actions, maybe both. We've all done bad. And yet God says, listen, you confess your sin, you're back in fellowship, you're with me, you belong to me, and if you want me to, if you'll let me, I will use you for my glory. That's what he says. God wants to use us. It is never too late to be used and to serve Jesus Christ. You've heard me say things like, you're never too young to serve and you're never too old to serve, and that's really true. You look at the life of Daniel, you look at the life of David, they were never too young to serve, and then you look at Moses and Daniel later on and, uh, and some of the others, they were never too old to serve. So every one of us in this room, we're not too young or too old. Just right to serve. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And with different gifts, talents, and abilities. So it's never too late to be used and to serve God. So we saw the charge to Peter. Three public denials and three public restorations and service. That's why he said, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. You love me? Yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Tend my lambs. So we saw that. That's really powerful. And so when we, if we stop right there, we say, wow. So God said he was going to use Peter. And, and uh, so is Peter going to be something special than all the other disciples? 
you start thinking about it and you say, well, we know him and then we know Paul and we know a little about James and John, but James got killed and John, he's the youngest and, and some like Matthew, we, don't, we just know he wrote a book. We just don't know much about him. And then these Judas, Thaddeus, to Judas Thaddeus, that's another guy. There were two Judases, by the way. Judas Thaddeus. He's sometimes in another place called Thaddeus. And, and so what about that guy? What about some of those other guys? Whatever happened to them? Well, you have all these traditions, but we don't know. And so what about us? What about Peter? What's going to happen to him? Well, let me just say this. Wherever we are right now, whatever failures we have, God will use us for his glory. He never wants to stop. We're to fulfill the ministry. We talked about it in Sunday morning in the message about we have this ministry of reconciliation, this message of reconciliation. And you could say, well, he won't use me. No, he will. He will. I think as long as we're alive, he wants to use us. As long as you're alive. Well, we come now to a special time. It's called the Day of Pentecost. We'll talk about it more in just a minute because it's a feast day. And we're going to see that on this day, God, Jesus Christ, uses Peter on this day, the beginning of the church, and he uses Peter to give the very first message. Wow, that's pretty important. So we're going to see three things. The promise of the power, the coming of the power, and the message in the power. And to be honest, this morning we're going to really get the first two, and next week we'll see the message in the power. We'll see how that ties together. It's a little bit longer message, so I didn't want to try to cram it in there this morning and just make it real short. So I just wanted us to see how it fits together. So let's talk about the promise of the power. You're in Acts chapter 1. I want you to look at this. This is... Acts chapter 1, and Luke wrote this. It says, the first account, this is verse 1, I composed Theophilus, all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, he's writing, and he says, now, Theophilus is the guy he wrote the letter to. In fact, Theophilus is a guy that Luke wrote both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts together. They came together. He says, I, I, I wanted to give you this account of what Jesus began to do until he was taken up to heaven. And he, by the Holy Spirit, watch, gave orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. He gave orders to them. Now, think about this. Jesus was with them for three and a half years. He died, was buried. Three days later, rose, walked on the earth for 40 days. So he was with them on and off for 40 days and then ascended into heaven. During that 40-day time period, he gave them some instructions. Verse 2 says, and he, by the Holy Spirit, gave orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Well, what was the order? Verse 4. He gathered them together. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard from me. Let's stop for a second. If you understand the Bible, if you understand the book of Acts, the, the city of Jerusalem was built on a hill. Let's just put it this way. It was built on a hill called Mount Zion or Mount Moriah. There's a valley coming down called the Kidron Valley, and there's another hill called the Mount of Olives, right there. You can stand on the Mount of Olives and see Jerusalem. It's, it's real close. I mean, it's not very far. In fact, it's not really far at all. Where is Jesus? When we look at the passage, Jesus is with his men, and they're on the Mount of Olives, and they're looking across to Jerusalem, and he says to them, do not leave Jerusalem until you have the promise of the Father. Now, before we go see what the promise of the Father was, do you know what happened? He told them and he taught them. And then they look at him and they say, is it time for the kingdom? 
What would you expect if you were there with Jesus? What would you expect? I would say, I must be about, t- about time for the kingdom, I think, right? Jesus says, it's not for you to know that. It's not for you to know that. You're going to be my witnesses. And then, right in front of them, he just lifted off the ground and ascended into heaven, and they all watched him go up. What did he just tell them to do? Go back to Jerusalem and not leave until the promise came. And so they, the Holy Spirit, they just disappears. And all of a sudden, some angels are standing there, and they say, what are you guys looking up there for? They, well, he just went up there. And they said, you better do what he said. Go back and wait for the promise. So what in the world was the promise? I want you to turn to John 14. So you're in the book of Acts. Your John is right beside you. Turn to John chapter 14. Let's see the promise. You know, when Jesus makes a promise, does he what? Pretty much keep it? <laughs> he always keeps it, right? Everything he ever says is right. So he's made a promise to them. Look at John chapter 14. Look at verse 16. He's talking to him. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll do all these things. And then verse 16. Is everybody there? I hope you are. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you, oh, temporarily. Is that what it says? Forever. Who is this helper, by the way? Who's the helper? The Holy Spirit, right? Watch what he says. That is the spirit of truth. Who's the spirit of truth? Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to ask the Father. He'll give you another helper. That's the Holy Spirit. He will be with you forever. And this is the spirit of truth, which the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you. He's been around. And he will be where? In you. The Holy Spirit's going to come actually be inside of these guys and us as well. And so that's a pretty incredible thing. If you look down at verse 26, the same passage, but the helper, just to make sure you're not sure who it is, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, what will he do? He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Let me ask you something. When Matthew and John and those guys wrote the Gospels, how did they remember all those things that Jesus did over that three-and-a-half-year time period? The Holy Spirit reminded them, brought it back. And they went, yeah, that's Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, you know, that's what they did. Okay? So that's the promise. Notice, let's go to John 16, just a couple of pages over. John 16, look at verse 7. He's told them he's leaving, and they don't like it. Would you like it? No, if, Jesus, if you'd been with Jesus for three and a half years, then he died, rose again, he's walking on the earth, you're probably saying, we're pretty much in good shape because he's, he's died and risen again. He's the Messiah, the Savior. I think we got it made. And he says, I'm leaving. He's already told him, he'd already told him earlier that he was leaving. This is where it is, where he told him he's leaving. And they're all sad about it. And in verse 7, he says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. What? How can it be for our advantage? We actually have Jesus with us. He says, well, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come. Now, who's the helper? That's the Holy Spirit. And then if I go, I'll send him to you. You almost want to say, well, could you not both be here at the same time? Guess what? They are. Who's in you? Holy Spirit. Is Jesus in you? Christ in you, the hope of glory? Is the Father in you? Yeah, it's getting crowded. Right? So in reality, they didn't grasp it all, but he left. 
but he sent the Holy Spirit. And then look at verse 8, because this is powerful. And he, when he comes, will convict, what? The world concerning his concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. If we stop right there, we might be confused. The Holy Spirit's going to convict who? The world. Who is the world? The unbelievers. The world, cosmos. is the Always world does not refer to believers. It refers to unbelievers. So when the Holy Spirit comes, what's he going to do? Convict the world of three things. What is it? Sin. Read it. Righteousness and judgment. Now, he's going to explain. Concerning sin, because they've not believed in me. What's the sin that he convicts them of? That they haven't believed in the Messiah. We're not talking about convicting them of lying and cheating and all that. He said, I'm going to convict you that you haven't believed in the the Messiah. And then he says, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, you no longer see me. How How do you get to go to the Father? You have to be what? Righteous, And then the last one is, and concerning judgment, because the rule of this world has been judged, there's a judgment coming. So when the Holy Spirit comes to the world and convicts them, he convicts them that they have not believed in Christ. You have to be righteous to be with the Father, and there's a judgment coming. So when you present and talk to unbelievers, stay on the message of believing in Christ, because that's what the Holy Spirit's convicting them of that they have not believed in Christ, that they need to be righteous, and a judgment is coming. When they start saying, I don't believe in the Jonah, or was the book, just stay off of that with unbelievers because they can't understand it anyway. The Holy Spirit is convicting them of these three things. So, so Jesus says, uh, he's going to guide you. He's gonna gu- uh, did I put this other one up? Yeah, the Holy Spirit, would, let me go back there. So he's going to guide them in truth. He's going to help them grasp it all. He's gonna, and that's the promise. And so when Jesus over in Acts said, don't leave Jerusalem until the promise comes, what is the promise? The Holy Spirit's going to come. Okay, now what would you do if you were them? You're standing there and Jesus disappears, goes up, and disappears into the clouds, and he's gone. And then two angels tell you what? You better go on back over to Jerusalem and wait. And you go, wait for what? What did he promise you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it? Holy Spirit. So we're going to go back. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Where are we going to wait at? What are we going to do? Well, I think what we ought to do is get together and pray like about 120 of us, right? That's how many believers there are, by the way, that meet together. And and Jesus' mother is there. And so we said, don't leave out Mary. Where's Jesus' father? He's not been around. He must have died. That's why tradition says that Joseph was much older than Mary because he died earlier. We don't know that. And so here we are. We've all decided... To meet together. And what we hear and what we understand is the Holy Spirit would come and form the church, the body of Christ, placing believers in there. And that's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. By the way, when you hear people say baptism of the Holy Spirit in our culture and world, they think baptism of the Holy Spirit is something to do with the gift of tongues and the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit places believers in the body of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. So look it up. So the next time somebody tells you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues, say, no, it's not. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Take them over there. So... As, we, as we're going, we raise some questions. What is the church? We say it's the body of Christ. When did the church begin? Well, right now we're saying, well, we don't know exactly because what did he tell us to do? What did he tell them to do? 
go wait. So they're all waiting, and it's probably about 120 of them. And so if you would go back to the book of Acts and go to Acts chapter 2. If you go to Acts chapter 1, in verse 15, you don't have to turn there, but it says, at this time Peter stood up in the midst of the believers, a gathering of about 120 people. And the verse before that says, they were together devoting themselves to prayer with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Anything odd about that? Who were his brothers? Joseph and Jude, Simon, one other one. They're his brothers. Before Jesus died and rose again, they did not believe in him. After he died and rose again, you know what they said? Uh, I think this must be real. <laughs> and so his brothers are there, his mother is there, the people are there, about 120 people, and they're there praying. And notice what happens in Acts chapter 2. I'm calling this the coming of the power. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Now, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Who? Who's together in one place? Probably about 120 believers, right? And what are they waiting for? Coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's talk about the day of Pentecost real quickly, and I'll go fast. If you remember, for the Jewish people, they had these feast days. And the first one, the most one that we always talk about is Passover. It was on the 14th day of the first month. So the Passover was on the 14th. The Feast of Unleavened Bread followed it, 15th through the 21st. And somewhere in that week of the 15th through the 21st was a Sunday, a first day of the week. That was called First Fruits. And so they had Passover, Unleavened Bread, and first fruits. First fruits signified resurrection. Jesus died on Passover. Guess what day he rose from the grave? First fruits. Now they had another deal that after first fruits, they would count 50 days, Pentecost 50, and at that they would have another festival, another feast in which they talked about the crops are beginning, you know, they're, they're going to start harvesting crops. So Jesus rose from the grave. On first fruits, how many days did he walk on the earth after he rose from the grave? Forty days. And he ascended into heaven. Now, how many more days is it till Pentecost? Ten. When he ascended into heaven, he, they told him, the angels said, go back and wait. How long have they been waiting? Ten days. They're waiting ten days. You can see them. What would we do? Hey, this is way too long. Why hadn't something happened right now? We thought we'd walk back over there and something would happen the next day because that's our culture, right? You know, microwaves and everything else. We expect everything to be done in a matter of seconds. And they're now up to 10 days. You, could they be going, man, is, he, is the Holy Spirit ever coming? Right? Watch what happens. When the day of Pentecost, that means what? What does Pentecost mean? 50. It's been 50 days since Jesus rose from the grave. It's been 53 days since he died. And the day of Pentecost had come. They were all together in one place. And what happened? What happened? Suddenly, there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. Did a wind come through there and blow them? It didn't. I've seen every story. In every story, the wind comes through and blows everything. And everybody goes, whoa. It didn't say that wind came through. It said what? There was a noise that sounded like a wind. Okay? Can you imagine going, that sounds like a wind, but I don't feel any wind. 
right? There suddenly came up from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house. That noise did. And there appeared on them tongues of fire, tongues as a, as a fire. Like, it was like these tongues, of, and it was distributing stuff. They rested on each one of them. Some people say it was above their heads. We don't know where. But suddenly everyone in that room looked around, and there was like fire above each person. What do you think that was? What's, what's he doing? What's the Holy Spirit doing? Why did he come like fire? What, what did Jesus say one time? John the Baptist said, he, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with fire. A lot of people think that's the judgment, but that uh, could be right here, could it? Could it not be? And so they see this fire, and they go, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. Uh, your head's burning. You know, they could point to, your head's on fire. Well, it's always yours, okay. And so what happened? And they were what? They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other languages, other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. This wasn't uh, gibberish. These were languages, specific languages, like Spanish. I'm just making that up. But all of a sudden, Italian and Spanish and, and German and, and this one and a language and, and the language of that guy that we just saw in the video in the first service. and those guys. I mean, everywhere, all of a sudden, they're speaking these languages. In fact, in verse 9 of Acts chapter 2, they begin to list all the places of the languages that they spoke. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in different languages. And what's happening is God, the Holy Spirit, is coming upon them, entering them, placing them in Christ, and beginning what we call the what? The church. This is starting it. This is starting it. And, and they're all of a sudden speaking. And by the way, what are they saying? Does anybody know what they're saying? They're saying the wonderful works of God. That's what it says. It says, we hear in our language, some guys out there going, I hear in my language, the wonderful works of God. What would be the wonderful works of God? That Jesus is the what? The Messiah, and he died and rose again, and if you believe in him, you what? You get eternal life. That's the message, is it not? Is it not? We're going to see next week what the message is. And so look what happened. So in verse 6, it says, everybody came together, and when this crowd occurred, the sound occurred, the, the crowd came together, and they were bewildered because every one of them was hearing them speak in their long languages. And they said, they were amazed and said, aren't these people Galileans? How can we hear them speaking in our own language which we were born? If I heard it, it would be Southern English because the word there is dialect, right? And some of you would be Oklahoma English, Right? You would hear the dialect. It wasn't just English. It was a dialect. And so it wasn't just the languages of these people. It was their unique languages. It was almost, and of course, some of you may not have been in the first service, but we talked about this guy from, where was it, Guatemala? And it was his language. And it wasn't just, it, it was his particular tribal language that the message of the Jesus film was in. And he went, that's my message on the day of Pentecost, they went, this is, this is my message. I can hear what they're saying in my language. And so they came together. Jewish people were coming together. By the way, this is all Jewish people. This is not Gentiles. This is all Jews. They're here for why? What, why have they come together? Feast of Pentecost. Did you know that every Jewish male had to come three times a year? Three times. Unleavened bread. Pentecost. And basically, Day of Atonement, our tabernacles, actually, they're all together. 
So every Jewish male in Israel was supposed to come here for this particular feast. I wonder why God planned Pentecost to give the message, because every Jewish male has to come. And so the people were coming together, the Jewish people, and they were hearing the message in their own languages because they're Jews, but they're spread all over the world. In fact, verse 9 says, Parthenians, Medians, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygeria, Pamphylia, Egypt, districts, Libya, Cyrene, Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretans, Air. We all hear it in our own language. They were hearing all this. But some people said, this is ridiculous. They're just drunk. Right? Others were mocking them, saying, you're full of sweet wine. What time is it, by the way? Do you know what time it is? It's about, nine, no, not today. But it's about, actually, it's about the right time. It's about 9 o'clock in the morning. It's actually 10 now. But our bodies think it's 9. But anyway, so, Peter said, no, 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 no. These not are drunk. It's the third hour of the day. That's 9 o'clock in the morning. He says, they're not drunk. He says, they're not drunk. This is the power of what? Of the Holy Spirit. Whoa. And so what we're going to see, and that we're going to stop there because Peter's going to give the message. If your Bible's like mine, starting at verse 14, what does your outline say? Does it say anything? It says Peter's message, Peter's sermon. So the very first message ever given in the body of Christ, which now has at least 100, has 120 people and maybe more, and the very first message is about to be given. And what was the message? In the book of Acts... Every time somebody speaks, whether it's Paul or Peter or Philip or any of those people, the message is always the same. It always says, Jesus died and rose again every time. That's the, God, the, that's the message. Of course, the response is to believe, and the, the uh, offer is eternal life. So as we look at this, Peter's about to serve in God's power. We're to serve in God's power. We're to be ready to proclaim the truth the greatest truth of all. So let me give you this application before we go. Let's understand the church. What is the church? It's the body of Christ believers. When did it start? It started on the day of Pentecost. How has all this come about? Well, by faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came down. Whenever people believe, they're placed in the body of Christ. Second application is just, may we serve God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, And look at this right here. The ability to serve comes from the power of the Holy Spirit in each of us who have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Now, if you were there that day and the tongues of fire came somehow and came upon you, you would say, whoa, that is amazing. Well, guess what? The moment you believed, what happened? Same thing happened. It just wasn't tongues of You couldn't see it, but the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you immediately and placed you in Christ. That happens the exact second, the exact moment you believe in Jesus Christ. The third thing is let's be ready in God's power to proclaim the truth. What is the truth? The message, the response, and the offer. Jesus died and rose again. Whoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. Be ready to share our faith.